Welcome to the Jack Weston MCAT Podcast with your host, Phil Hawkins. And Asai Calderon Muñiz. Welcome, welcome, you guys. We have a really interesting episode today. So we're going to turn the clock and we're going to take a look into the past. <laughs> Um, so before kind of to, to preface things, we're going to be thinking um, about how Eric Erickson thought that we developed. So psychosocial, psychosocial development. But first, we kind of want to talk a little bit about who Erickson was, because he's a really interesting history. We were just kind of talking about this beforehand. We're like, OK, we have to talk about this. It's really cool. Note that his life will not be tested on the MCAT. Uh-huh. His theory will. So we will let you know when we make that transition from, oh, this dude's just really interesting to, okay, put on your MCAT hat. This is testable. Yeah. So, so um, Erickson's really interesting. Erickson, um, I, I don't know how far back we want to go, but he came from this prominent Jewish family in Denmark. Um, he was conceived out of wedlock. So his mother fled to Germany of all places. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we were talking about the madness of that in, in the early uh, 1900s. Um, and his mother became a nurse, his stepfather, um, oh goodness, I forgot what his stepfather did. Okay. Pediatrician. Um, oh, yes. Pediatrician. There we go. So his stepfather was a pediatrician. Um, and Erickson is really interesting because he's one of those people that didn't get a degree and yet was a professor at Harvard, at Yale, at UC Berkeley. Um, yeah. and he trained for a bit under Freud's daughter and Freud. So, there's just so much about him that you can think like there are so many rich life experiences that would have gone into someone thinking about, OK, how do we how do we come about? What are the things that we care about in different stages of our life, um, especially just like this idea of identity confusion that was important to him? And he he changed his name. Um, and so his daughter says that, you know, he really kind of his his full um, psychoanalytic identity was established after he replaced his stepfather's surname. Uh, And so with kind of his own invention, which was Erickson. So Erickson was his idea. Yeah. He he decided to be called Eric Erickson. And I love that. Like the man so nice, they named him twice, right? I'm like, Eric (laughs) Erickson. Um, That's fine. Phil Filson. Um, I kind (laughs) of like that idea. Um, But yeah, super interesting. I think it's kind of, like his background of like being able to be a professor at all of these places. He had his own clinic. He was a, he was, I think one of the first like clinical psychologists or like pediatrician in Boston. And so he fled Germany during like right before world war II started as Hitler was rising to power. He's like, okay, Jewish guy in Germany probably don't want to be here. He was, he, he was wise to get out of town. Um, but yeah, he came to the U S and did a lot of stuff here. He got married. Um, but I think it's kind of interesting because I feel like, you know, the fact that he worked with like these prominent psychoanalysts, I feel like it would like Freud would have some very strong feelings of like, okay, (laughs) you didn't know your father growing up because (laughs) you were born out of wedlock and that's why you have all these issues. And like, I can hear Freud's voice talking mm-hmm. to Erickson about his his issues. But Erickson was all about, who am I, right? Yeah. Like, what what is my identity, right? Um, it was actually, like, he, he, I think he mentioned somewhere in some of his writings that, like, trying to figure out who I was was almost a neuroses, right? Where it was, like, this 
like something that he was just so preoccupied with. Um, but Erickson kind of like took the psychoanalyst stuff and, and kind of came up with his own version of trying to understand what are the challenges that we face in each step of our life, right? And so he broke this down. It's a lot of stages. Um, you do need to know these stages. You need to know the difference between these stages. Some of them, yep. I think, are particularly tricky. And so you have to be very clear with these and you have to be very clear with the ages. Because Erickson says that like at certain time frames in your life, you will be dealing with a certain battle. And there is a something that comes out of that battle. Like if you are successful and then if you don't, then you have psychological issues. You have problems um, with your life that will come from that, from not resolving that conflict that you are facing at that age. Yeah. So we can kind of get started with think. So we're going to be thinking about this in chronological order because just kind of how it makes most sense. Um, mm -hmm. And the first stage that we're going to be talking about is trust versus mistrust. And before I even give you any ages, think about, you know, when you're born and kind of what what that would mean, right? Trusting and, and not trusting. And so it goes from birth, right, to about a year, about a year old. And if you think about it, this is when, you know, infants are are trying to figure out, perhaps not actively, but they're they're figuring out, right? Who can I trust? Am I going to be fed? Am I not? Right. Um, if I cry, who's the one that's going to respond? And so you have this element of of kind of deciding, okay, not again, not actively, but um, this this foundation of deciding between the two things. And there the idea kind of um associated with this and that will eventually that this stage will eventually culminate in is this idea of hope. And so hope. Huh, hopefully, <laughs> um, that was not intended at all. But hopefully this makes sense. I think this is perhaps, if not one of, perhaps the most straightforward of the stages. Um, and thinking about, and again, I think we've talked about this in the past. I think we talked about it with Piaget. For some of us kind of thinking not just numbers, but also who it would represent would make sense. And so you think about it, this is this is just at that cusp of starting to meet other milestones um, that we can chat about with the next yeah. one. Yeah, this is something I, I want to reiterate. You do need to be clear on the years because the MCAT yes. has and will ask questions like, oh, this two-year-old, what are they dealing with? Like, which mm -hmm. of the stages? And that's something you want to be really clear with. So that first year of life, it's it's all about just learning. Can you trust other people? Right. Mm -hmm. Like babies can't take care of themselves. They need other people to take care of them. And so if you don't resolve this conflict within you, which could be because maybe you don't get taken care of as a kid. And so you don't mm -hmm. learn to trust. Then throughout the rest of your life, you're not you're going to be distrusting. Like you're not going to think like, oh, people are going to take care of me. Right. Like you're, you're not going to have that hope. You're going to have just this distrustful nature to you. Now, I want to be clear. This is Erickson's theory. And I'm not I'm not telling you that like if somebody skipped, you know, feeding you once when you were a baby, you're never you're doomed to be a pessimist your entire life. But um the idea here is that we have we're dealing with this thing. And I like that you mentioned this as either we're not dealing with this consciously because Erickson is a psychoanalyst. And so his stuff is that there are things below the surface, right? In our subconscious, that's that's the the 
continuous like foundation of psychoanalyst theory is that there's stuff in your psyche that you don't understand and you need someone to help you analyze that a psychoanalyst like there are people that dive down into the subconscious to uncover things that you may not even be aware of so erickson would say somebody who just doesn't trust other people they probably had some issues in that first year of life and they weren't able to resolve this conflict in that 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 time so the next stage i actually think the next two stages are the trickiest to keep separate um so often i like to talk about them together um but let's start with just the next stage just with a brief overview so this is from one year to three years or like one year one and two year olds right just up until your third year um so this conflict is between autonomy and shame, right? So the idea here is you are deciding whether or not, like, is it okay to be me, right? Like, is it okay to have feelings and opinions? Um, and is it okay to develop that autonomy? And so I always think of, like, if you have a little kid and you ask them, like, which book do you want to read? Do you want to read about the hippo or do you want to read about the frog? And they say frog, and you're like, good choice. And like, awesome, let's read about the frog. What, what Erickson says is that what you are doing in that scenario is you're teaching the kid that they can make decisions. They're allowed to have opinions. Um, and so if somebody was raised in a household where like you just didn't let the kids have opinions and like, you know, you you kind of like downplayed that, um, then those kids are gonna start to feel shame and doubt like even later on in their life when somebody asks them like which thing do you want and they're going to be like oh i don't like don't ask me like they like don't want that they feel this kind of shame in trying to kind of steer themselves and so like kind of the big goal here is developing this like willpower this uh, this this um feeling of i can have opinions and i'm allowed to have opinions and so that's this autonomy versus shame uh, stage that's the conflict that we're dealing with yeah and I, I like that you mentioned that these can kind of be a bit more muddled um yeah. these these two that we're going to be talking about now i like to think about this um three-year-olds is kind of when you would expect kids just developmentally to start putting more than two words together right you're expecting them to form very short sentences and if you think about it this idea of um autonomy and independence um kind of fits with it right because uh -huh. when when they kind of finish that up, then they transition again, assuming that they successfully went through this stage and they have this kind of um, will, this willpower to do things, then they move on to the next stage. And this one's going to be until about six years old. And so I like to think about this as maybe like kindergarten-ish. Um, yeah, like before school up until yeah yeah exactly and so this is going to be the idea of initiative versus guilt and so before we talked about kind of independence with the initiative versus guilt it's a bit more about that kind of self-confidence and this um this ability to and so i did i say initiative versus guilt i think i did, yeah, you did. so um this ability to actually make decisions and to have kind of some not active reasoning in the way that we would as adults, but um, that kind of ability to to make those decisions, that confidence and the sense of purpose eventually is is ultimately the goal of this stage. So one thing that we can kind of 
do to think about which one comes first is you need the willpower to do something before you can assign a purpose to it, right? And so you need to have some sense of autonomy that you have the capability of being independent before you start taking initiative of things, right? And then if um, you doubt yourself, then you will not take initiative. And so those are some ways that we can think about these together to help us differentiate between the two, because otherwise it's it can be really tough to think, okay, which one's coming um, and what's the difference between like autonomy and initiative um, or shame versus guilt. I don't know about you, but shame versus guilt sounds super similar to me. Like I would not have thought, oh, those are distinct things. Yeah. Um, But if you think about like kind of doubting yourself, you won't take initiative. Versus you take the initiative, but maybe you feel guilty for doing yeah. so. And so that can be a way to distinguish, but it's tough. It, like, yeah. like, to be frank, I, it's I, tough. I love that you're hammering that because like that is like the challenge. Autonomy versus shame. And then the <laughs> next stage, initiative versus guilt. Autonomy and initiative seem the same. Shame and guilt seem the same. Yeah. Um, I always like to do this kind of like from a like a like you know, kind of this scenario, right? So like the sec- the two-year-old, you're telling them, do you want to read about the hippo or the frog? And they're picking. Um, what happens when they, they're four or five, you say, do you want to read about the hippo or the frog? And they say, I want to read the other book about the lion or I want to go to the park. And you're like, okay, let's go to the park, right? <laughs> what you're doing there is you're teaching this kid, not just that they can make, like that they're allowed to have opinions, but they're allowed to take charge of their life. Right. They are allowed to like take initiative for this. And so there, there's a there's a difference there between like you're allowed to pick between these two things versus you're allowed to pick between anything and like start to push towards these different things. So once again, Erickson, like if you didn't, um, if you weren't taken care of in Erickson's view, if you weren't kind of taken care of and you weren't kind of allowed to do this, weren't allowed to engage in this, then what's gonna happen is later on in your life, you're going to feel like you can't, you shouldn't be the one in charge of your life. Like you're not the one kind of going through there. So th- that's a difference between making choices between different places, right? And so I, I often think like somebody who wasn't taken care of when they were four and five, according to Erickson, um, what's going to happen is they're going to like graduate high school and everyone's going to be like, what do you want to do with your life? And they're like, I don't know. What do you think I should do, right? Like they, they kind of like, want other people to tell me what direction my life should take so that because they just feel this guilt and like I'm like I I shouldn't be the one in charge of my life and according to Erickson that this kind of problem takes place in this in this conflict that's occurring when you're like three four or five years old yeah um it's worth kind of noting how this transitions um because like you were saying, you know, this this idea of am I going to feel guilty? I shouldn't be the one kind of in charge of my own life. This feeds really well. And hopefully you're kind of figuring out that one feeds into the other. It's going to feel feed really well into the next stage, which is about um, the actual work that you uh-huh. do. So we talked about trusting versus not trusting. So if you don't trust, then it's going to be hard for you to feel like you even have a choice. Right. Then thinking about, OK. I have the capacity or don't to make choices, then taking the initiative or starting initiating some kind of decision making. Um, And then we move on to the next stage, which is going to be from roughly ish six to 11 years old 
And this is going to be the industry versus inferiority stage. And so now you're thinking about almost like the quality of what of what's happening, right? And if other people are going to be, um, how, I should be careful with that. So um, thinking about just like what you're actually doing. So if you think of the word industry, a lot of times we think of like big conglomerate corporations and things like that. But if you think of the word industrious, industrious refers to hardworking, rather than just like some, some big conglomerate. Um, And so here we have, okay, are you going to put in the work? And then what is the quality of that work going to be like? So if you think about industry versus inferiority, it's that kind of comparison, right? Is it good enough? Am I competent enough at something? And so if you're lacking that, you're not going to um, be as confident in what you can produce, right? And your kind of um, sense of, of accomplishment, and so yeah. that ultimately plays into other ones. But this is where we start thinking, not just do I have the capacity to do something? Can I start something on my own? But am I going to work towards it? And what will be kind of the the quality and that sense of accomplishment that I can associate with it? Yeah, I like that you're tying this to like earlier things. Because like the previous stage initiative is like, you can take charge in your life. This next stage is basically just kind of what's happening in elementary school, which is like, how good are you? And yeah, at the stuff that you're doing, like how industrious, how capable are you? Mm-hmm. Um, and I often think like in these ages is when you start to give kids chores, you start to tell them, like, help me with the dishes or or do something or you assign them homework. Right. Because they've got homework all of a sudden now when they're second, third, fourth graders. Um, I like if you ask if you ask a seven year old to sweep around the house. Right. And they do a bad job. Right. Like you're not going to like, of course, they're going to do a bad job. They're seven. Right. Like they're not going to be great at cleaning overall. Um, But when they do that, you say like, good job. Like, awesome. Thank you so much. And then when they like go to bed, you're like, okay, now I'm going to sweep actually well. Um, But you don't tell them like, wow, you suck. Like you are terrible at this. Right. Like if you do that, right. Going back to Erickson, if you go to these elementary kids and you tell them like you like oh do your homework man you suck at math right like you suck at this you suck at the you're not very good at cleaning you're not very good at chores you're not very good at homework right what happens is the kid's gonna start to develop this inferiority feeling like i'm not as good as other people i am not as capable as other people and so according to erickson this is the stage where you start to develop that like confidence and competence that I can do a good job at things. Um, And this is why it's important to kind of like give that positive reinforcement. I don't want to get into behaviorism, but like give that sort of like reinforcement. Like, yeah, you can do things. And that's what Erickson, that's way more important here. I think Erickson, I don't, I don't think Erickson has ever come out and stated his view on participation trophies. But according to what he thinks about the six to 11 years old in these these areas, kind of makes sense to give them these participation trophies to like say, you can do a good job. Yeah, you didn't win, but you did a good job. And that's important to like instill in children that they can feel that way. Obviously, if you don't do that, that's going to cause problems later in life where people start to feel like, oh, I can't do a good job at this. I can't like I'm not as good as I'm not as smart as other people. I'm not as as hardworking, right? Like, I can't do this. I can't do that. Um, And that's going to lead to some issues. 
Yeah, as you were talking and you were giving the example about the the seven-year-old sweeping, I saw this video a couple of days ago and it's this adorable little kid and on a little step stool and who I presume is his mom behind the, the camera, don't actually know, says, what are you doing? And the kid is washing dishes and the kid's like, I'm washing dishes. And his mom's like, do you see the mess you're making? And there was just like water all over the floor. I don't know if you've seen this before. Kids like, well, you have shoes. And so it's like, no, this is <laughs> wild. But yeah. I love it. And I'm thinking about this kid. And they probably fell in, you know, um, somewhere probably between initiative versus guilt and industry versus inferiority. And I'm like, that's, that's, the, it's like sweeping, right? They're doing yeah. the dishes. And to them, they're like, yeah, I'm doing the dishes. You can do something else. Yeah. Um, and that child's going to have going to grow up to probably, again, according to Erickson anyway, probably have like such a strong sense of like, I can do things. Let me do it. Um, and that's it's I'm sure it's stressful as a parent. I am not a parent, but I imagine that it can be stressful to have to go and <laughs> do, you know, the cleaning again. But that also has to be something so nice to see um, that a child's like, yeah, I'm going to try something. I'm going to try something new and see if I'm good at it or not. And I'm going to try and be good at it, you know? Yeah. That's, that's always a walking a fine line between good job, but next time <laughs> let's not make this worse. Right. Like, um, <laughs> and like still instilling them, they can do a good job and making them believe that they can do a good job because they can, mm -hmm. but it just, sometimes it stuff doesn't happen easy the first time. And so I think Erickson, Kind of like this stage is a little bit tricky. I think that this stage, this industry, a lot of times people get confused with this with a later stage where they think about like people working, right? Like for a career, because you think like industrious sort of thing. But according to Erickson, the industry phase is this like essentially elementary school phase. Um, so the next after this starts, you start to go into adolescence. Right. And so this is this like 11 years old to like essentially 20, right? 11 to 19 ish, um, according to Erickson. And under this stage, Erickson says our main goal is to figure out who are you? Right. Like what, like what are the things that make you who you are? This is identity versus role confusion. Now, this should make sense. Right. Like if you look at like what's going on with people as they kind of go through like younger age, I don't want to say everyone, but definitely me. Right. <laughs> like if my parents expressed viewpoints um, on anything <laughs> and, and I was in elementary school, like I thought whatever they thought. Right. Uh -huh. Like they, They're the ones who know everything. And so one day must be right on everything. All of a sudden you start to get into like middle school and high school and you're like, mm, no, I, I disagree with everything my parents say, whether or not. <laughs> Whether or not they're right doesn't matter. I disagree. And I'm trying to figure out who I am. And so this is when people start to develop their own like taste in music, I think is always like a perfect example of this, right? My fam my family is all, I grew up in the country. Everyone like does farming and I like rebelled hardcore. And I'm like, I am doing no farming. I love participating. I love being in groups. I love doing things. I'm joining literally every single club in my high school except for FFA because I don't, I'm not doing the farming thing, but I'm doing theater and I'm doing science Olympiad and I'm doing sports. and I'm doing all of these things. I'm in the future of business leaders of America. I'm even in a home act and like the club for that, but I'm not doing FFA because that's farming and I'm not a farmer. And like people <laughs> go through this and like, you know, I went through like a heavy metal rock phase and I'm like, I don't really like that music now, but I think I just wanted like the opposite of, 
whatever my parents liked. Um, and so according to Erickson, this is the stage when you're trying to figure out who are you as a person and you kind of like are working on developing tastes and things like, I like this, I don't like this. Um, and if you are not allowed to do this, according to Erickson, you're going to start to have some issues later in life. Like you don't really know who you are. Um, and so that's something that becomes a little bit tricky. I do want to point out something. Um, we have a, like some of these are easy to get mixed up, but I think it's, it's really interesting that after trust versus mistrust and autonomy versus shame, the next three all start with I. So yeah. it's initiative versus guilt, industry versus inferiority, and identity versus role confusion. And so the three eyes are all three together. And so that helps you. There's about to be another eye. <laughs> yeah. And the next <laughs> but, one is an eye as well. But before we get into that, um, I, I have a very similar story, although mine is not about farming. But, um, I think you know this. So I grew up speaking both English and Spanish, um, Spanish primarily in the home, English at school. But my mom did. She, you know, she was like, OK, we're going to teach you both at the same time. So she would tell me one word like when I was just, you know, very little, like one the word in English, the word in Spanish and kind of back and forth um, to, to the best of her understanding. Um, and it probably was if uh, this would be 11, 11 years old, this I think still middle school. And that was around the time where. I, you know, you want to fit in with like the kids at school and you're trying to think about, okay, like what kind of what's going on. And like you said, different from, from like everyone else around you and different from your parents and stuff. And so I am not proud to say it, but I'm amused to say that I went through a phase where I refused to speak Spanish. I convinced myself <laughs> that I was like, no, I am. And my dad, um, his control of English was a lot less at the time. And so he would say that he didn't speak English. So I think it was like a week. I don't know. It was it was for some mildly extended period of time where we just would not communicate. We communicated through my mother because I was so adamant that I did not speak. Obviously, I spoke Spanish, right? Like right. that's that's what we spoke at home. That's what I speak with my family and my extended family. Um, but I just went through this phase where I was like, no, no. Um, and so it's it's kind of wild to look back on that because I now I love languages, right? Yeah. I, you know, picked, started picking up and picked up Portuguese. I'm like, I'm really proud of my Puerto Rican heritage, 110%. So you look back and it's just like, man, that that rebellion was just kind of wild. And it takes such different forms for people. But that angsty adolescent phase will hopefully help us remember, like, just think about the most angsty teenage thing that you <laughs> <Yeah>. did. <laughs> When you're thinking about the um, the identity versus role confusion phase, and you will be set because then you have the timeline, right? And you can always work backwards. So before you were super angsty, right? You were thinking about, okay, can I, not just can I do things on my own, but like, what's, you know, am I good at doing things? And then before that, can I take initiative? And then before that, am I even capable of doing, you know, making decisions? So being able to think kind of forwards and reverse, Ooh, I just hit myself, forwards <laughs> and reverse can be can be helpful in having the mental flexibility to remember the just sheer amount of stages that Erickson had. Yeah. So this is something of like you've you've kind of landed on this thing of like super proud of your heritage. But according to Erickson, he'd be like, well, that's because you were allowed to have this like phase where like I yeah. am in charge of who I am <laughs> and I get to be in charge of that. And I don't have to be this, but it's it's what do I want to be? And mm -hmm. so having that freedom 
to decide who am I? What are the things I care about? And kind of being nurtured in that will make it so that later when you do land on some viewpoints, you're like, like the, you're these are my viewpoints, right? Versus if you are not allowed to do that, like growing through like yeah. your teenage years, uh, then you're like, when you have viewpoints, you're going to be like, is this what I actually want? Or like, am I like allowed? And like, you, you have yeah. this confusion over who am I? overall. And I want to kind of like keep reiterating this because this is what Erickson and the psychoanalysts are all about. There's these things that are going on subconscious that will affect you later on in life. And so it's important to kind of understand the scope of these things. Um, By this point, you will hopefully feel like I can make decisions about my life and I feel capable. But if this stage doesn't go well, then you're like, I don't, I, I don't know what, who I am. Right. I don't know who I'm supposed to be. And so even though I can take initiative and I'm capable, I just don't feel like I know what I should do. Yeah. And at the end of the stage, right, theoretically, you're ending with some kind of fidelity, some kind of trueness to your yeah. yourself and that kind of consistency to yourself. So let's say that you make it through your angsty years and you decide, Congrats. all right, Those I'm, going to, I'm going to decide to move on to Erickson's next, next psychosocial stage. Um, so the next stage is uh, young adulthood. So this is roughly 20 to 44 years old, um, which I don't know, it's such a such an interesting kind of like thinking about it. A broad but, range. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very broad range. Um, so in this case, and hopefully when we think about why or what this stage is, it will make sense why it's such a broad range. Um, this is the stage of intimacy versus isolation. So there's that fourth eye. And also a fifth eye because yeah. we get two eyes together. Isolation, yeah. Um, so if you think about it, right, early 20s, even through early 40s, people crave relationships. People don't want to be isolated and truly alone, right? They want to be able to connect with other people. And, you know, you think about your your time in undergrad, you think about grad school, you think about probably med school in the future in your early career. It's being able to, you know, make friends and do different things and find that balance for yourself and and craving that that social connection and recognizing the complexity of those connections. And the kind of end goal for Erickson being love as an extension of all of these different relationships that you have in your life. And so kind of following the the way that we've been talking about this, if you don't move through this successfully, right? You're not going to have that strong um, connection with other people and you're you're going to lean more towards that isolated aspect rather than um, being capable of intimacy um, and being capable of connecting with other people. Yeah. And th- this makes sense, right? Like most people, this is when, I mean, mo- a lot of times there's relationships happening in high school and things like that, but most of the time when it starts to get serious, where it's like mm-hmm. long-term partners um, doesn't like remember that Erickson like kind of wrote this like we're dealing with 1900s you know, yeah like not not in the 2000s but like <laughs> in the mid 1900s and so a lot of his viewpoints were focused on like getting married and having kids and things like that and like developing a family like that's kind of the challenge here and if you don't do this you're gonna be lonely. Is the is the the idea from? I want to be clear. This is not my view. This is Erickson. Um, but yeah, I I do want to point out because this phase is huge, right? Yeah. 
by the time, like it starts when you're 20 and lasts until you're essentially 45. So by the time you're 45, you have spent over half of your life in this phase, mm-hmm. right? And there were multiple phases before. Was it like five phases before this going through? And so like, yeah, those five phases took the first 20 years and then you have another phase that lasts 25 years. And yep. so this is where things tend to slow down a little bit. Um I do like that Erickson had this going into like 45 um, because I, I think about nowadays and the the world we live in, people are getting married later um, and having families later. And I realize people who are listening to this are people who are wanting to go into medicine. And so most of those people are a little bit later in general, not all, but in general, um, the the number of physicians who have a bunch of kids you know, by the time they're 25 is not that much. Um, or it's not that common. Um, does happen though. Um, so like that's something that is interesting. There are some people that posted other stuff or uh, posted probably isn't the right word, published things that would imply that this stage should end in the like around 30 or things like that. And I know like that, that starts to give me like, oh, you have to be married and, and like, you know, in a relationship by the time you're 30 and everyone who's listening to this is like, oh my gosh, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. Uh, But as you, um, you have to be kind of careful because there is a lot of um, misinformation and wrong years posted for these things. Um, This is actually something Azai and I ran into when we were like looking up all this data. We like want to make sure that we're absolutely accurate. There is a lot of people who say this ends at 30 or ends at 35 or ends in the 20s, right? And so according to Erickson, who is who they're going to test you on, this ends at 45, right? So up until you're 45. Um, And so that's something you really want to pay attention to with this. And I just want to throw out that warning because there is a lot of wrong information out there on the internet for that because a lot of people published stuff based off of Erickson and they tweet the years. And so now there's a bunch of stuff out there that is problematic. So the next stage is like from 45 until 65. So this is actually a shorter phase than the previous one. Um, so this one's only 20 years. Um, but this is, doesn't start with an I, it's generativity. So this is generativity versus self-absorption. So this stage is, you know, at this point, like around 45, remember, we're thinking about like 50s in the 1950s, somewhere from like around there. Um, a lot of times people would have kids and have a family. And then around 45, all of a sudden, those kids are kind of gone to college and doing their own things. And so your life kind of becomes like, what am I producing for the world? Do I make the world a better place? Outside of connections to individual people, it becomes more about the work that you do, right? Um, and how important and impactful is it? Like, does, is, does my life have meaning to this? Now, that could, a lot of times people connect this to, like, midlife crisis, right? Where people start to feel like, like, what's, what is the purpose and point of my life? And so... Um, Hopefully at this stage, like it doesn't need to, like according to Erickson, you're working on like, how have I made this world better? Now that could be like an architect building skyscrapers and beautiful buildings. 
It could be people working in nonprofit stuff. It could be a teacher who's like, I feel like I'm making the world better by like helping people kind of reach these different viewpoints um, and like learn more about themselves so that they can make the world better. But the idea here is that you're just doing something along those lines. Now, if you can't do that, right, then you're going to have problems and you're going to turn internalized. Like, so you're going to become more selfish and it's more about like what, what's good for me rather than what can I do for the world because you feel like you're not making a positive impact in the world. Um, I don't mean to, I don't want to imply anything about any job, but I, according to Erickson, if you are like going to work and like, like flipping burgers, for example, at the age of 55, you might feel, or some people might feel like, I don't really feel like my, the world is better because of the work that I'm doing. Now, according to Erickson, like you can have like really meaningful impacts on the world outside of just your work, right? Like when I say work, I don't mean career only, right? But like volunteering or working with others and just making a positive impact, even if it's just like beautification of your neighborhood, like you feel like the the place you exist is better because you're in it, right? This is the challenge that is going on with um, this stage, which generally lasts from like 45 to 65, basically retirement age, um, according to Erickson. You're retiring at 45, Phil? <laughs> 45 to 65. Okay. Retirement age is on the gotcha. other. Okay. I mean, I was I'll like, admit, I'd like to be done at 45, but. I was uh, like, that's, I, I thought you were referring to the whole, the whole no, uh, like, stages yeah. as I was just like, wait a second, hold up. You know, somewhere in those I'm, retirement years in their like mid forties. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so again, just really, really hammer this home. These are not, these do not represent our views. These represent yeah. Erickson's views. Um, I'm a very big proponent that and, and a very strong believer that every every job has its place and adds its value to our society um, and that being a doctor is not the only way to do that and is not the only way to impact people, which I suspect many of you going into medicine know this. Um, and if not, I hope you learned this very soon <laughs> that doctors are not the end all be all. Um, but kind of moving Moving on to the the next stage. So you've really just focused the last, well, not actively focused, but again, this is all, you know, kind of in our being processed in yeah. our in our subconscious. Um, up until 65, you've been thinking, okay, how do I care for the people around me? Right. How do I um how do I produce something in in that capacity? And at 65, Erickson says, okay, old age, now we're looking back. Now we're being retrospective. And this is another eye. And it's integrity versus despair. So integrity, right, is this person, do they have a strong sense of integrity? Do they feel like what they have accomplished in the course of their life um, is, is what they wanted to? Or are they going to end up in despair of how they have spent the last 65 plus years of their life? And the idea being that, and yeah, the idea being that um, you will have some kind of sense of accomplishment and integrity that even as you age will be able to stand the test of time and so there's this element of um generally speaking like wisdom that comes with old age which should kind of be familiar to a lot of us because that's often associations that are made in many different cultures that you know you respect your elders your elders have wisdom that the younger people don't have 
um, and they have accomplished things that, you know, we have not yet accomplished. They have reached milestones that we have not reached, et cetera. So I think this one, even though it makes conceptually, um, I would say the first and, and the last one make the most sense, the term integrity is maybe not one that we automatically associate with this, um, with just like older age. But I think the despair is really where, if you can remember that those two are tied together, the, the despair is the one that's going to help you best remember what this stage represents. Yeah, this this last stage always felt a little weird to me because like yeah. according to Erickson, this is mostly just like look back on your life and say, was this a good life? Mm -hmm. And like, that's what you have to do when you're 65. Like there's no other things going on at that stage. Um, no, there are. <laughs> yeah. And so that seems like a little bit... Um, like not as developed as the earlier ones but remember he did a lot of stuff with children yeah. and so a lot of his work i feel like is a lot more kind of focused on the children so note that there's like there half of the stages occur in the first 10 years of your life and then the other half are like the last 70-ish years <laughs> um 70 plus years and so that's something that's kind of interesting um now there's there's two things i want to mention at this point um one is that Erickson um, and his wife did some more work later in life. Um, and so Erickson, so there's a ninth stage that was published. It was actually a little bit right after Erickson died, Eric Erickson. Um, his wife, Joan Erickson, published some stuff after that. And that was expanding upon what happens when you get older. Um, a lot of books and a lot of places just don't seem to pay any attention to that. Um, there's some kind of weird twist of irony in that, in that Erickson kind of ignored older people and then he became older and he wanted to adjust it and everyone just kind of ignored it, <laughs> which is, which is, there, there's, a, there's a twist of irony in there. Um, I don't think the MCAT's likely to test you about that ninth stage, but that stage is mostly about revisiting the earlier stages. Like as you get half, like up into your 80s and 90s, so it starts around 85, according to what um, Joan Erickson published, um, where you're redealing with a lot of the issues that came before, like loneliness is like significant others pass away and friends pass away. And can you trust that you're going to be taken care of, right? Can you steer your life anymore, right? Like, are you able to make decisions? And according to um, like the Ericsons, the husband and wife, like those later stages, you're just really revisiting a lot of the stuff that happened before. I think Eric Erickson died when he was 91. And so they both lived very long, full lives. And so there is that ninth stage. I don't think you're going to get tested on it, but just in case, we'll mention it. Um, the other thing is when you're studying this, pay attention to the stuff that you think is confusing or stuff that is uh like easy to get mixed up i think that if nobody ever studied this stuff and the mcat asked a question on like what age are people confused about their role and their identity like everyone's probably going to say teenager for that and so because of that i don't think they're going to ask that question because they want to ask questions to see who knows stuff right not who just like generally knows that teenagers have to deal with stuff with identity um and so some of those things are easy to get mixed up. I think the autonomy versus shame and the initiative versus guilt, we've already hammered that a lot, but that's something that is very easy to get twisted around. So I think those two are honestly probably the most likely to get questions on. Um, the other one 
is the industry versus inferiority, which is in those elementary years, and then the generativity that occurs in that like middle age post the like post 45 where you're trying to like have a positive impact on the world. And that's just because industry makes people think about working. But remember in that stage, we're really just worried about like, can I do the dishes well? Or do I feel like I can do the dishes well and sweep the floor well and do well in my homework? Um, am I capable of doing good work? Am I capable of being competent, essentially? Um, versus later on is like, is my work meaningful in the world, which is a slightly different thing. But because industry and generativity are very kind of similar words, I think it's pretty likely for you to get questions on that. Yeah, with that, just kind of thinking like you have to be you have to be willing to put in hard work before you can assess like, you know, the kind of you were saying that generativity was was my life's work, what okay. I wanted it to be. And, and same with integrity and despair. Um, I would say that also, if you're anything like me, the eyes will get you. And <laughs> so make sure that you know the order of the eyes because it would be very easy for the AMC to throw in questions with multiple eyes, right? Yeah. Because that that's like an easy way to to I don't want to say that they want to confuse students, yeah, but it's an easy way to test um students. And so, you know, like you were saying, you might have something like autonomy um versus shame and doubt, initiative versus guilt. They might throw in industry and inferiority and generativity and self-absorption, or they might throw in um, integrity versus despair because it's really easy to think, oh, despair, that must be like adolescent, right? Yeah. Um, and so knowing the order of the eyes can also be a way to get some extra points or get an extra point or two that you may or may not have gotten otherwise. Um, yeah. Just like small things to to keep it. I feel like lately I've been saying that a lot, Phil. Like there are lots of small things that we need okay. to keep in mind. Um, but hopefully the podcast helps cover, you know, some of those bigger picture things, but also helps you think about those smaller ways that either the AMC might test you or ways to remember things. Um, because it's important to be able to see the connections between so even within the the psychosocial development, but also being able to differentiate these, for example, from PHAs stages or, you know, some of the other other developmental stages that we'll talk about at some point in the future. Um, but yeah. connections within compared to others, really important. Yeah. They also, I feel like, could ask some questions. You do want to know the years, but you also want to know the ideas behind these. And so, like, the years yes. that falls into those, like, the little details. But I could see the MCAT having a passage talking about, like, the modern world and about how some people are worried more about their career and their impact on the world first and then they look for like romantic love in their like 30s and 40s after like you know people who want to be physicians a lot of times <laughs> they focus hard on that and then they you know get married later um and so they could ask questions like oh which stages seem to be switching or which ideas get moved and so you want to make sure you understand those as well, because the MCAT could ask you like a weird application of the ideas behind these things. So Absolutely. hopefully that that puts all of that into um, into clarity. I, you mentioned Piaget. We talked about Piaget in a somewhat recent episode, um, turning back the hands of time. Um, and we're going to talk about a couple more stages or people a couple more theorists where we have different stages that we have to go through because it, when it comes to those, those little details are really key. And so if there's things we can do to kind of like clarify those, 
Um, I'm really excited to do that to help you guys prepare for test day.